everybody, and welcome into the New England Ski Journal's Base Camp Podcast. I'm New England Ski Journal editor Eric Wilbur. I'm joined here by my co-host, Mike Specian. Mike, how are you? Eric, outstanding. Got a couple days up at Jay this week. Unbelievable. Uh, it's 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 going good. When it's go- Remember when we were complaining about this season? When was that? Just a couple months ago, it seems like. Well, yeah, it's we're almost to April 1st here. And ski areas are 100% open. I mean, Jay, it's springtime. It's firm in the morning. Yep. But as soon as the sun hits it, the trees were so silky. Ah, unbelievable. Yeah, that'd be springtime. It's it's a great time to ski just for the fact that you can sleep in. You can go have a nice lumberjack breakfast if you want. And then you can get out on the hill for 10, 30, 11. And the snow is just getting to its corn. Just it's, it's it's so relaxing and it's so different than the winter. It's so The winter is what it is. You got to get there first. You got to get that parking spot. You got to get first tracks. Spring, it's like, I'll get there, man. Like whenever. Well, yeah, you get to you get to sleep in. I stayed up overnight at Jay. I slept in a little. Got up on the hill just as the sun was heating everything up. It was it was crazy good. The week before, I was at Sugarbush and Magic. Both hills are incredible right now. Yeah, and, and ma- Magic is is obviously it's a springtime destination for sure. What I appreciate about Magic is just not the terrain and the vibe there, but it's a. It's one of the ski areas which we thought we lost in New England, and we've got it back. And I've been thinking about this lately because we were coming home from North Conway and driving down 16, and we, and we went past where Mount Whittier used to be. And I was trying to, to tell my kids about what it was like there when I was probably their age, 10 or 12 years old. And not that Whittier was open, but it the remnants of Whittier were still there, right? Like there was the chairlift going across 16, and you could still see the trails, and there was a makeshift base lodge still there and over the years it slowly deteriorated and went away and now it's barely recognizable as any kind of ski area that started me looking into a lot of the lost ski area project by andy davis who does a great job detailing all these things go to newenglandskihistory.com they do a great job of, of all these ski history in new england and i was doing this and what should come across my google news feed but news from the balsams where People have been waiting for something to happen. And now it seems like we may be on the cusp of this sort of magical thing happening. Just to keep you up to date with what the balsams were. I mean, I, I've i never skied the balsams, but I did have a friend who skied there pretty regularly in the mid-90s. And he loved it. And this was not your, he, he wasn't an easy skier to please. Like, he, he liked good terrain. And he would always come home from the balsams and just rave about what was there. Fast forward a couple of years, and it's been gone. And it, it was such a huge part of that economy in northern New England that has been gone for, what, 25 years now, at least. And the, the fact that it's going to be potentially revived and reborn into a new resort that's going to be far and away the largest in New England. The original Balsams was a little bit smaller than Waterville Valley. And by the time they're done with this, at least in the vision that that's going on right now, the Balsams full build out will be, it seems almost twice as big as Killington. How is this going to happen? Well, from what I understand, there is just an incredible amount of terrain that you can't beat that isn't seen. I've never been up there skiing, but the terrain beyond the first knoll just brings a potpourri of options. And but the other thing that I think is cool about the balsams is that New Hampshire's grand hotels. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
everybody goes to past Bretton Woods and looks out at Mount Washington, the balsams was equally as impressive, even more so. I agree. Okay. It didn't have Mount Washington sitting behind it, but it had just topography that just blew you away when you look at the pictures of that building. Yeah, it was a special special part of New England, and it was, it's been forgotten for so long. So it's exciting. Just some of the things that, to look forward to here that they, they, they want to do. They want to make this the largest and most advanced ski resort on the East Coast. We went over that. By the way, I'm getting this from thebalsamsresort.com, where you can get all sorts of information about what they're planning. Legendary Donald Ross 18-hole golf course, mountain lakes for boating, swimming, fishing, endless miles of maintained trails for biking, running, hiking, and designated recreational vehicles, a fitness center with yoga and Pilates, aerial adventure park, that's your zip lines, performing arts center and festivals, Unique lakesides, resort campus layout. It's adjacent to the U.S.-Canadian border. 1,000 miles, snowmobile highway, superhighway, excuse me. All activities are located on property. This sounds like the sort of uh, idyllic resort that that we could find in different areas of New England. But in New Hampshire, I'm not sure anything – well, let me back that up – in New England, nothing of this size exists, right? Or nothing of this spectrum exists. But particularly for New Hampshire, having something like this is going to be something that the state doesn't necessarily have. Vermont has Stowe and I guess Okemo and the places where the the lodge and the spa come into play. New Hampshire has it in pockets, but doesn't really have like a spa destination. Um, I'm sorry, go back. Mount Washington Hotel is up there. But the balsams would be like that. It would be like this weekend destination place to go. Admittedly, not easy to get to, but I think it's one of those things where you make it worth the while for those people visiting to come see something special. Well, I think what is different here than what we have in New Hampshire right now, this is going to be all encompassed everything restaurants, bars, spas, skiing. It's all going to be in one location. I don't know anywhere where you're going to be able to take a lift directly from your hotel right up to the hill while the rest of your family might go to breakfast or to the spa. It's going to be incredible if all of this comes to about. And there's no timetable quite yet. So in March, the Kuas County Planning Board approved the site plan application. That, That was a big point for this thing to get going. Let me just read you a little bit more about the build-out here. Phase one, and again, there's no timetable here, so phase one could happen in two years, three years, five years, who knows. Phase one of the Balsam's expansion would result in roughly 500 acres of skiable terrain. That placed it, places it solidly between Stowe and Okemo, size-wise, among New England resorts. That's right out of the gate. That's phase one. It's going to be as big as Stowe. The full build-out, calls for more than 2,200 skiable acres dwarfing even Killington, the venerable beast of the East, with more than 20 new lifts. That is ambitious, to say the least. And it's, it's amazing how this project, which has been percolating here and there for the past six, seven years or so, but that this project, once it goes from, you, get in, you put the key in the ignition and you, 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 push the, you, you press the gas pedal, you're going from zero to 60 here. Yeah, you really are. And I don't know of one spot in New England that has the climate that the Balsams has. You you couldn't pull off something like this farther south. We're not getting the snows 
in Massachusetts like we used to or in southern New England, Vermont, like we used to. So by going up north, it's going to be a sustainable situation from a weather standpoint, too, which I think is awesome. But the guy that's behind this, that's who we have on today. we He's got a long history of doing great things in the ski industry. Yes, Les Otten. I think that if you have heard about the balsam over the past few years, it's because of Les Otten's involvement in it. He is on the redevelopment team. Let me just read from his bio from the balsams, thebalsamsresort.com. For over four decades, Les has been a leader and an entrepreneur in a wide range of pursuits, including business, tourism, alternative energy, yada, yada, yada. He was huge in the ski business, obviously a figure up at Sunday River turning that resort into a, a, a monster on the landscape map. He was at the head of the American Ski Company, which, if you remember, had the very first Epic Pass. He was a part owner of the Red Sox. He ran for governor. I mean, you name it, in the ski industry. And, and Les Otten was at the forefront of it in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, he, he was. I don't know that he had the very first Epic Pass. I, I think he'd probably take exception to that comment. Yes, he I, def- know, I know. He definitely but. gave us something special in a pass that allowed us to ski multiple resorts okay that's but, that's fair to say i i will say that i cherish my asc pass and i looked forward to buying that every year was it 600 bucks maybe and being able to ski those places like all of I, new england all of new england. all of new england it was, it was incredible so but well just so everybody knows we are actually taping this on opening day yes and <laughs> so we're gonna take an ex-Red Sox owner away from the game yep. right now. That's how that's how big we are. That's how much pull we have that we can take an ex-Red Sox owner off of opening day and talk to us. So here we go. All right. We will be right back with Les Otten right after this. Eagle Crest isn't your average community ski area. We're on an island in Alaska. We have panoramic ocean views a 1,600-foot vertical drop, big mountain terrain, incredible backcountry access, less crowds, more snow, and some pretty historic streaks. It's now 50 consecutive days with snowfall. You can't drive here. You have to fly or ferry, which means shorter lines and untracked powder. We have great community. We're affordable. We have an amazing learning center. But it's not just the skiing and riding. Juno has a lot to offer. And we're right here waiting. Great Glen Trails Outdoor Center is your one-stop adventure destination this winter. No lift lines, just great grooming and magical vistas classic snow tubing hill with hot cocoa and s'mores on the weekends try a guided snow coach tour grab your reservation to treeline on mount washington private and group lessons for skiers of all ages and all abilities evening snowshoe tours and so much more check the website for booking options and details as well greatglentrails.com Welcome back to the Basecamp Podcast. We're excited. Joining us today is New England ski industry icon, Les Otten, who is on the Balsam's development team. Exciting things happening up there in New Hampshire, and, and we're excited to talk to you and, and find out some of, the, uh, some of the plans and what you hope to happen. So welcome to the show, Les. 
Hey, thanks. It's the first time I've been called an icon. We call a lot of things. That, that icon, that's, that's a new one. That's a well, one. well, we want to up the ante here for you. Uh-huh. Okay. So well, I, it's, it's up there. So I got to, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. Okay. So I, I got to ask you, when did the idea of resurrecting the balsams really start to percolate in your mind? Like, like who brought this to you and how did it begin? About eight years ago. So you, my history Got into baseball in 2000, and 2000, 2001, and then we bought the team in 2002. Had a great time, won the World Series, you know, four and 07. And like, I've had enough. I mean, I, I'd watched 150 baseball games a year at that point in time, traveled on the road, been on the plane. It's like every kid should have this. If you like baseball, should have this experience. It was amazing. But I over, it was, it, I saturated myself. Like, went to the energy business, but about eight years ago, Dan Dagison and Dan Hebert, who used to work at the Balsams, one guy's a car dealer and the other guy is a successful contractor, what was then left of the Balsams and wanted to resurrect it, contacted me and I said, no, I'm not interested. It's, it's just a little ski resort and I'm not into the summer game. I like winter, but it was too small. Anyway, they kept bugging me about looking at it. One day, about eight years ago, they came by my house while I was at the movies. It was one of those say, all right, well, if you leave some stuff on my front porch, I'll look at it. And that was like September-ish, eight years ago. They left the stuff and it was on a dining room table, it sat on the dining room table until Thanksgiving. And I hadn't even looked at it. And we were having Thanksgiving. Family was coming over and our dining room table was piled with these maps and plans and stuff like that, that I had looked at. And here you go. Bernie will love this one. Jewish American guilt. This is where it is. It's either Catholic guilt or Jewish guilt. Here's the guilt. I couldn't throw this stuff out without looking at it. I knew I had to clear the table. So I opened up the, the map and I've always had this opinion that everybody's an idiot savant about something. And I looked at the topographic map and I was like, holy expletive, expletive. There's something here that's amazing. From a terrain standpoint, I hadn't seen anything like it in ever that, that didn't have a ski area that was started on it in, in the east. So I called up Burt Mills that had helped me build the canyons and Sunday River. And I said, do me a favor. We built more lifts and more trails than anybody that I know of. Sighted tops and bottoms of more terminals. I said, take a look at this and tell me if I'm, if I'm, if I'm not wrong about the fact that there's one amazing ski area here. He called, he, he called back like minutes later after he got the maps and he said, where, is this where I think it is? And I said, yes, it's the, it's the balsams and it's all the land that you really can't see when you're looking at the balsam. So there was like another, I don't know, 5,000 acres of land that didn't have anything to do with the balsams. That was just extraordinary from, from, from a lift and trail development system. And of course, growing up at Sunday River since 1972, yeah. We always knew 40 miles an hour away, we'd be getting rain and then Loon would be getting rain and it would be snowing in northern New Hampshire or snowing at JP. And snow totals up that were, were extraordinary. Just no one had developed the skiing. And so it was sort of out of that guilt of having to look at that stuff instead of throwing it out that finally made me look at it, which when I went like, if you're going to go, if you're going to go do something again, go bigger, go home. And so we had then developed this massive plan to develop the balsams and are plotting our way through the process of getting there. 
It is an amazing area up there. Most of the nation knows Dixville Notch because there's this little vote that happens when New Hampshire primaries happen, the original vote in New Hampshire every year. But what's the impact? What type of impact will this have on the economy up in northern New Hampshire? I mean, it should be fairly substantial. I mean, Coas County is perhaps the hardest economically hit county in the Northeast in the last 40 years, since the 1980s. They lost Bose, they lost Ethan Allen, they lost the mill of Groveton, they lost most of the of the Brown Company mills, paper making in, in, in Berlin, and they lost the balsams. It, it, it's somewhere between five and 6,000 jobs are gone out of a population of about 30, 33,000. So yeah. it is the only county that I know of in the Northeast of the United States that has actually gotten smaller since 1980. It's 5% smaller now than it was in 1980 as far as human beings living there. So the impact of, 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 of this year, of a year round opportunity, remember the balsam was, was always a summer gig when it started. It was 75 days and expanded to 90 days and expanded to maybe 120 days. And people would just come on, move up. They'd stay there for the summer and enjoy the lakes and the fishing and all, all the 90 kilometers of hiking, biking and mountain bike and, 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 and snowmobiling trails, cross country trails that were there. Table Rock, the hikes that you, you could have there. Table Rock is kind of like, our answer to old man in, in, the, in, the, in the mountain for New Hampshire, I mean, Table Rock is like iconic to, to, to hike up and be able to stand on this jetty of, of granite that sort of sticks out over the notch. If that doesn't make your heart race, I don't know what will. So here all of a sudden we've got this incredible asset that is begging to come back to life. And if you bring it back to life, it provides Construction jobs, of course, but it also provides year-round jobs because it's a year-round resort as opposed to just being a winter resort. It starts off with everything everybody in the industry always wants, which is a robust summer business. So you're starting with a robust summer business. To make it winter is almost like a piece of cake because it's the snowiest place in New Hampshire by far. So this month, the planning board approved a site plan application for the Balsam's expansion plan. Was that sort of like the moment where it's like, okay, now we can really start to maybe start to envisioning this in our minds, what it would well, look like? No, no, yes and no. The planning board had previously granted us a planned unit development project, which on our land allowed for the development of 23 ski lifts and housing for tens of thousands of people. So zoning was was in place. So it was... The development district was put in place. The specific first phase needed to be filed. And that's what happened. That So the two new hotels have their site plan approval. And the ski area itself now has its initial site plan approval. We have to finish going through Department of Environmental Services. But we have a general permit for the development of the resort. Again, the specific lifts and trails are now in final review by by those guys. So we're through probably 95% of everything that has anything to do with the permit. We could start construction on part of the project tomorrow, but we don't want to start construction until we have every last piece of the permit process in place. Right. But we have our water, we have our sewer, we have our water for snowmaking, we have our 401 from the Army Corps, we have all the things that are necessary. And the final little pieces will probably be in place by sometime in June. That's fantastic. The, the revitalization of such an icon up there. 
In addition, the Coes County delegation approved the part of the Balsams financing that would create a special tax assessment district around the Balsams so that tax assessments can be collected and used to pay off a needed $35 million bond. Could you take us through what that means in terms of a timeline and planning phase? Yeah. So first of all, tax assessment district is the same thing as tax increment financing. It's got a different name because we're in unincorporated territory. All the incorporated towns in New Hampshire are allowed to issue tax increment financing bonds. And tax increment financing bonds are, say you have a project and it's currently paying $100,000 for the taxes. You want to double its size. That's going to add $100,000 to the tax rolls for a period of time that extra $100,000 can be used to pay off a, a government-issued or county-issued or state-issued bond. It's Economic Development 101. It spurs economic development. The legislature passed with SB 30, say, six years ago, a bill that would allow the Business Finance Authority of New Hampshire to add that bond. And that fell into a political quagmire. And we had to go back to the legislature, have them rewrite the law, which they did, passed unanimously in the Senate by 75, 80% of voice in the House to allow Coas County to issue that bond rather than the state so we could bypass the Business Finance Authority, which is a bond issuer in New Hampshire, so we could issue our own bond in Coas County. So that was kind of like local government taking the position of, of state government and say, we want to do this in our backyard. Now what happens is that that money is paid back from the real estate that we sell, the real estate buildings that we built. We're ultimately responsible for paying that. It, it's, it's like a loan. Once it gets paid back, the county's benefit is that in the long term, they have a significantly increased tax base and they get someplace between 12 and 1500 projected jobs that'll be sort of year round that'll come because of that. And that will generate housing and that will generate tax revenues. And it's a huge boon to this lodging and meals tax. I mean, lodging tax is is huge. So it, it puts three to $5 million a year in the pocket of the state just from the taxes that it, it, it generates. So works for everybody. Not everybody likes government, using government facilities to issue bonds that are paid back from increased taxes. But I, I would dare say that this project probably never would have taken its first step if the then Jack the then head of the Business Finance Authority hadn't offered that to us and said, hey, this is economic development for New Hampshire. We can offer you this bond. And even though they were not able to fulfill fill it and we had to change it, it's still we still found a way to, to make it work. I, I think what's so impressive about this is the ambition and the, the size of it. In fact, from your website, it says phase one of the Balsam's expansion would result in roughly 500 acres of skiable terrain, placing it solidly between Stowe and Okemo among New England resorts size-wise. That's not exactly starting small, is it? You're like going for the going for the gusto. Oh, but you yeah. know, remember, without a without a community already established that would take years to build, there's nothing there. So you can't say, hey, come on up, I want you to go all the way up to the balsams, three hours and 45 minutes by our Google Maps from the Tobin Bridge. Just to put in perspective where it is, shorter than Sugarloaf, same distance from JP, and 20 minutes longer than Sunday River. But it's it's on the outside edge of the marketplace. You can't get somebody to drive three hours and 45 minutes for one chairlift and 200 acres of skiing. So it 
it's sort of a two two. It, it, it's definitely a two edged sword. In in that you know, you got to have something that's big enough in order to entice people. But if you're going to have something that's big enough to entice people, you're then going to have to spend a lot of money to get there. And we're not. We, I don't think we're overspending with what we're doing. We're spending, I think, just enough so that. Somebody shows up, they've got five restaurants that they can go to, three or four different bars on the property that they can go to, three different mountain areas where they can go skiing, cool gondola, nice bubble chair, all the accoutrement, plenty of snow, and say, yeah, this is a place where I could go to for a weekend. Well, we're not for day skier, right? It's two hours from Boston. We're not, it's, a, it's, a, it's overnight, but it's predominantly a, a day skier. Well, we're in a different geography, too. Meteorologically, I mean, the base of where we are of the old balsams is 1,800 feet. The base of, I think, Lakin is down at 650, bottom of Loon, maybe at 800. Different weather, longer season, colder, snowier. And if you're going to go for more than a day or two, you don't have to go to Colorado to find something big. You can go to northern New Hampshire. Well, people people drive to north of Quebec City for the same type of situation. It's not easy to get up to St. Anne or Le Massif. It's a drive, but people go and they're looking for that different experience, which uh, we we applaud you for for going for it. You know, what people want to know, what's the skiing going to be like? I mean, I've seen the maps. What's it going to be like? Well, as any good skier in the East is, you're going to have to have the stuff that makes your heart, my heart pound when you look down it and see something that's 150, 175 feet wide that has a good a good 40% grade to it. On the other side of the coin, there's the solid intermediate skier that wants to see something that's about 23% that's nice and wide. The philosophy that we always had when we were building ski areas back in the 80s and 90s was that they don't come for the food. They don't come for the lodging. They don't come for the bars. They come for the snow in the wintertime. And the one of the things that the balsams will deliver on is I think that my team and I had developed some of the best snowmaking technology that was ever offered in the Northeast of the United States. I remember Dave McCoy at Mammoth bringing his entire staff out to Sunday River to figure out how it was that we were making snow so that he could duplicate it at Mammoth because he wanted to make something that actually you wanted to ski on rather than push around with a bulldozer. And I think that 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 knowledge resides in my team and the folks that we're working with and that the one thing that you're going to find at the Balsams is you're going to find an extraordinary snow product. Now, if we do our job well, you'll find incredible snowmobiling. You'll find incredible cross-country Nordic skiing. You'll find a, a great hot spring spa to hang out on in the winter time. You'll find great hiking and snowshoeing. You'll find a lot of really, really great food sort of highlighted by the weekly Balsams buffet, which used to be like 50 feet long on two sides and you, you couldn't get more than 25 feet before your plate was full and you had to go eat it and then go back. Our own baking shop. So we're paying homage to historically what the Balsams was known for, but we're going to, where they are known for some of the, some of the best food in the Northeast. And there are probably more chefs that own their own restaurants in the Northeast of the United States that trained at the Balsams than any place else. Wow. And it's our job to make sure that the snow that's under your skis is as good as the reputation of the food that's going to go in your stomach. 
I'm glad you brought up the Sunday River snowmaking because I wanted to ask you that if you had social media like 30 years ago, would you have had to take that dump truck all the way to Boston Common and dump the snow there? A little yeah. easier, right? Yeah, that was that was 40 years ago. 40 years ago. Wow. More than 40 years ago. Wow. It was 40, 43 years ago. Yeah, that, that story still lives on. And that was before social media. And, and I got arrested for that. Well, I got arrested. I got taken to the bottom of government center and told to stand up against a steel pole and not move. I wasn't in handcuffs, but I was sort of under house arrest. They didn't think that our little stuff was all that. It worked. Welcome to Boston. Yes. <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome to Boston. Welcome. Uh, exactly. The build out of the area as a whole, how big is it going to be skiable acre wise and so on? In the 700 to 1,000 skiable acre zone, I mean, as large or larger than anything else that exists. It won't happen overnight. It'll happen in stages, sort of the way Sunday River was built, where every couple of years we added another peak and added another lift system and added some more trails. I think that's what what you would expect to see the balsams do. What are some of the first projects that need to begin before you even think about an open date? So we have to build an eight-mile pipeline from the nine-mile pipeline from the Androscoggin River to the east side of the resort. We call it Dixville East. That provides up to fifteen thousand gallons of water a minute for the to make snow over the entire mountain. That that starts the day that the, the, the all the all the new trails need to get cut on at least two new mountain areas, and the old Ditch Hampshire House needs to to be reconstructed, and the new Gloriette. 252 Rome Hotel needs to get started. So it'll all sort of start at the same time. And the day that a shovel goes in the ground, it'll be about 24 months from the day that shovel goes in the ground until there's essentially 450 new rooms, at least four new ski lifts, water, snowmaking, restaurants, bars. And we're going to keep, we have a 235 seat theater in the bottom of the Hampshire house that will be, remain and be redone. So, and the other thing that we've done, which is kind of unique, is we've connected our hotel buildings together by tunnel. So you'll be able to go from the movie theater, which is at the far eastern side of of Lake Gloriette, walk from there something like 1,200 feet through all the buildings to get to the gondola that goes up the hill, never have to go outside. That's very cool. So you can get to every restaurant, every bar on the coldest days without going outside. And you can walk. In a, in a, you can you can walk in a in a in a weather protected tunnel and walkway over to the hot spring spa again without without having to go outside. That's one of my so, favorite things about Montreal in the winter time is that you don't have to always walk outside. You just go right down to the mall and, and whew, it's, it's, a, it's a lifesaver sometimes. Yeah, there's an advantage of being able to learn from everything that you would have liked to have done. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. I mean, when, when you think of the, of the, of the guys that are, that, that I still know when they started these businesses, Press Smith back in the late, late fifties, what was it that he had the ability to work with? He could, he had the money and the ability to build a couple of panelists, right? And then he had the money and the ability. I think it was like the year after that, he was able to build a Killington chair. And you kind of incrementally went along your way. And back in those days, you needed you need a lot of guile, a lot of guts, and you you had to have a tremendous amount of vision and faith that the little incremental things that you were going to do were going to turn into into something really big. But that meant that you had to drive up an access road that came all the way 
from Bill's Country Store down on Route 4 and Route 100. That was at five miles up an empty road with nothing on it at all to a palm lift and a, and, a, and, a, and a base lodge. And the shack, base lodge, whatever was, was originally built, you had to build that knowing you were going to build a chairlift out in front of it and that your parking lot was going to have to be teetered. So we all know every skier is almost the same, whether Sunday River or, or, or Stratton or you, you, you arrived in a parking lot, you put your boots on, you walked up through the mud, dirt, gravel, snow. So you got to the base lodge, you walked up into the base lodge, you walked out the other side of the base lodge, and then you walked up to the left. And that's how all of these ski areas were built. Now, ideally you wouldn't do, do it that way. If you had enough money and time, you would learn where you needed to put the snowmaking and where to put the cars and where to put the garage. And nobody even thought about snowmaking in the, in the, in, in the, in the late 1950s. The biggest snow system, snowmaking system that ever built in the Northeast by 1963 was the system that they put on snowshed for beginning. Again, think about, think about the thought process that Press Smith must have had 60 years ago, plus years ago. When he said, geez, I'm going to put snowmaking in here for beginners. Because I need the beginners to get going. Right. Because I've got to build my business with something. So they're, they're, everybody went, went about things differently. Walt Schoen Connect built the sky car that went across the pond at Mount Snow. That was, he was, he was in the Playboy mansion with the outdoor heated swimming pool and patio with people walking around getting a tan. He was in, he was in San Moritz. And he was one end of the spectrum and, and Betsy Pratt at, at, <laughs> was at the other end of the spectrum. Spectrum was, yeah, I'll get you to the top and then it's up to you. No, no grooming tractors. No, not going to do any of that stuff. So that's where we all started. Now, if you could look back and now knowing what we know today, how you would have arranged that then, you would have done it very differently. Now we have the ability to say, geez, you know, a lot of guests may be here in the wintertime that are not going to ski, but will spend a lot of money at the resort, but they don't want to walk outside in 20 degree below zero wind chill and not ski. I always thought that when allowed to do that. (laughs) (laughs) I always thought that they, that they, when they were designing lodges and and access to the lifts, they would just go to Stowe and say, do the complete opposite of the stairs there. Right. (laughs) But, but Stowe obviously is on the, the mega pass of mega passes, the Epic pass. And do you look at these new, this world that we're in now of skiing, where we've got Epic and Icon and Indy. And do you have a little sense of pride that you were at the forefront of this and having your, the American Ski Company mega pass be sort of the grandfather that started this age? Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting. You can always tell the settlers as they're walking away from you because they're the ones with the arrows in their back. So I got, and, and I'm not saying that what we did was right or wrong in those days, but I think now there's a, that because everything seems to either be Boeing, Epic or Icon or whatever. Now there seems to be an opportunity for quality independents that are offering more than a lift ticket to go up and down the hill, that are offering a complete resort experience, vacation. And what I'm looking for is the family that has an expert skier in it, a beginner skier in it, somebody that has absolutely no idea of what skiing is and just wants to sit in a hot spring spa for the day, somebody that would very much like to go on a snowmobile tour to Canada for the day and, and have lunch. And somebody else is just, I just want to eat and sleep. 
And I want I want a family of five people that can fit into that category so that everybody can say, well, I can get the skiing I want, I can get the snowmobiling I want, I can get the hot spring spa, I can get the food, and I can get a nap. Well, Les, that, I, I have your family, trust me. We, um, we've got I, your family. I was thinking how this whole thing fits into Eric's and my world because our wives will never leave the building going to the hot spring yep. or t- to the spa. Well, he and I go out skiing. It's perfect. It is perfect. And look, we know we know more now than we knew then. We have the opportunity to 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 build our resorts so that they can accommodate that. But we used to be really frightened of people that would come to a ski resort, stay in the room, and not buy a ticket because we weren't smart enough to figure out how to charge them one hundred and fifty dollars for what they were going to do for the day, while somebody else spent one hundred and fifty dollars to go skiing. Right. And now I think now I think we recognize that that's that that is in essence who we are. If you look at our operating costs and, and revenues and budget, about 20% of our revenue comes from skiing. The rest of it comes from all the other activities that are involved with eating, sleeping, snowmobiling, four-wheeling in the summertime. I mean, four-wheeling is going to be the four-wheeling capital of the Northeast. What about pickleball? I suggest a pickleball court. Too. Oh, pickleball. <laughs> it's, it's hot right now. Tournaments, perfect. Well, I look at what you're doing up there, Les, and I was just at Jay Peak, and they have 700 UK people coming over next week. And I'm just going, the UK is going to come to the balsams because all inclusive, everything right there, they're going to love it. Yeah, I, I think if we do anything for New Hampshire or northern New England, it will be to help expand the, the market. A rising tide floats all boats. I, I think we're just going to be another really strong reason why people look at New England, especially northern New England, as a great destination in winter and summer. And how do you like the Sox this year? My two numbers are 75 and 5. <laughs> the 5. Oh, sorry. I just... Everybody's day and the begins with a B is gone and I'm heartbroken. <laughs> I'm fan now. I'm not an owner. I'm not looking at the bottom line. The only thing I care about is 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 winning. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying that we'll win at least seventy five games, but we'll finish in fifth in the East. But I want to caveat by saying look at the roster that we had in two thousand and four. That roster It's amazing. Or no old thing. Nope. It was amazing that 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 whole stretch of time I was there covering it for Boston.com and to be there and we were just talking about this to be there at at Game Seven in '03 and follow that up one year later and be there at Game Seven, which I remember you being on the field throwing a baseball prior to that game and the energy in that stadium was just all Boston, even though it was in New York's house, it was just it was it was almost a slam dunk like everybody knew Boston was going to win and it was just a matter of going out there and doing it. So Mike Cubbage and I had this thing. Whenever Pedro pitched, Mike was one of the would, would be throwing batting practice, and we we would always I would warm Cubbage up. He then coached third base through BP and through coach third base. I would warm him up on the sideline, which was basically he would throw the ball to me at sixty miles an hour, and I would make sure it didn't hurt when it hit me, and then throw it back to him. And we had that thing, and we did that with the, with every game that, that 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 we played when when we could do it. The, the thing that was really interesting about about that year is the stories about having a shot before the game through being lumps. Kevin Millar, Granby, stuck me in a limo be, before the last game, so we're going over to the stadium early. We, he wanted to ride the team bus, and he wanted to legitimize the fact that he was getting a bunch of the guys in 
So I'll get somebody from ownership and it'll be okay. I'll just sort of do my own thing. They were totally loose. You know, who's our shortstop? You remember that? Mike Daria. We had traded away no more Garcia Parra, one of the premium three, right? There was, there was, there was Rodriguez and, and Garcia Parra. And who was that kid that played for the Yankees? I can't uh, remember. You know, Jimmy, Jay, somebody. DeGloria, right? Peter. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we had one of the three premier shortstops in the game of baseball. Faded him away. Yeah. And it was a turning point. It was an absolute turning point. I'll never forget that when that trade went down and it was shock throughout Red Sox Nation. And from someone that was kind of hanging around the club a, a bit that year, it made sense just because you could feel the kind of tension that was there. Nomar wasn't the loosey-goosey kind of guy that Kevin Millar and these guys were. And it was kind of like a rift. And boy, from there on, just legendary, legendary summer and legendary fall. Just, just an awesome time. Well, Anything else, Mike? Well, Les, we are rooting for you in a big way. I was with ASC since the first pass came out. And I will tell you, you as soon as you're open, I will make plans to be up there that first year to support you. Thank you. Yeah, Look, thank Looking forward to it. Can't wait. Les, thank you very much for joining us. I look forward to contacting you in the future to get an update on how things are going. I will have you that. Last year, we did a feature on this in the New England Ski Journal. And it was by far our most traffic story. And I believe it still is. And so so there's a, a huge interest out there. And I think people are thirsting for the information they can get about when this can possibly happen and, and the, the dream becoming a Well, my pleasure to, we get lucky in life sometimes that we, we, our avocations can be our vocation. And I, I'm looking forward to just being able to enjoy my favorite sport and do it at the balsams where all that snow falls. And uh, hopefully we'll all get what we want Excellent. pretty soon Christmas. Les, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Gentlemen. Thank you. Take care. New England Ski Journal's Base Camp Podcast will return after this. If you want to be inspired and informed on everything about the New England ski and outdoor scene, then you need to check out SkiJournal.com. SkiJournal.com delivers daily content on breaking industry news, tips, gear, dining, travel, entertainment, as well as all archived episodes of the Emmy-nominated New England Ski Journal TV show and the Base Camp podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to New England Ski Journal, the longest-running regional ski magazine in the country. New England Ski Journal's award-winning writers and photographers bring all four seasons to your door with best-in-class coverage on skiing and the outdoors. Log on to SkiJournal.com and click on the subscribe button to get New England Ski Journal mailed to you today. New England Ski Journal is a Siemens Media publication. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful. And now, back to the Base Camp Podcast. Wow, Eric. Les has been around a long time, and he has done some amazing things. He still has the same energy. I wish I could have that. <laughs> Not bad, huh? Oh, yeah. It was great to talk to him and to and to see the energy, to feel the energy coming off him, and to discuss this project, which is just—it's a big one. And and if he's going to pull this off, or if if he and the team are going to pull this off, it's going to be up there with saying one of sounds like so trite. So I would say the most important development in the ski industry in New England in the past what thirty forty. I mean, if ever. Yeah, I don't know. You have the 
Sugarloaf build out of Bracket Basin and mm-hmm. Burnt Mountain. You yep. have the Saddleback build out, but none of them were all encompassing beginner to advanced terrain on terrain that none of us have ever skied before. Mm. It's going to be amazing. It is. I mean, that, that you bring up that point that it's terrain that we've never skied before. This is going to be when, when, if and when this does happen, it's going to be, this is going to be attraction number one for, at least for me, at least for my family. I, I think it, like you said, it, it sounded like Les was inviting my entire family to go with, with his comments there. So I, I just think that this is going to be glorious and to have something else in that part of New Hampshire is special. Because it, it, it's it, for the economy up there and for the, 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 the quality of life to have this go in and be this sort of, you know, epic sort of central, let me start that again, for this to go in and be, and be a successful resort is, is going to be just a, a, a huge boon for the state of New Hampshire, for, for, for Dixville Notch, for all of New England. It'll be a huge boon for us because it's going to be fascinating to see how this develops over the years and how much closer we get. We're, we're getting closer. And you talked a little while ago about lost ski areas. Every time I see a magic comes back or a tenny, which is fighting to come back or well back, we've had these guys on the show and to see the balsams come back. We, we all as skiers, need to root these places on we when they get back on board we need to give them our support because guess what the southern ski areas are are going to be tough moving forward we need to support the ski areas that are pushing forward here yeah and you look at you look at jay peak and you look at burke and you look at Saddleback and Sugarloaf and the snow that they get. They're, they're just north enough that they're getting a lot more. And I think the balsams are going to be like that. They're going to be in that same conversation. Unofficial Networks, uh, the website, covered this this week. And they wrote, for skiers, the major point of interest is the expansion of the balsams wilderness. Prior to its closure in 2011, the balsams was pretty tiny compared to its competition in northern New England. When it last operated, it only had 100 skiable acres and a 978-foot vertical drop. The end game here is ambitious. 22 lifts, 1,250 skiable acres, and a vertical drop of 2,050 feet. It, it, it is ambitious, and, and you look at some of the plans, and, and you see the, the terrain there, and you see sort of the, the topography. Like Les mentioned, like you look at it, you're like, oh, okay. And until you see it, you're kind of like, okay, the balsam is whatever. It is going to be tremendous, and it's going to be fascinating to see the, the way that they use this terrain like you said, for beginners, for intermediates, for experts. This really is going to be a, a, a one-stop shop for everybody. I am so excited to go up there and experience it. I, I looked at the map yesterday, knowing we were coming on today, to take a look at the trails that were planned, mm-hmm. and my jaw dropped again going, right. you know what? It's not going to be a Mount Snow with the amount of people there. Mm-hmm. It's going to be your own private resort with X amount of people. It is going to be incredible. And I think what's going to be interesting to watch is going forward, what does this mean for other New England resorts, right? Like in 15 years, will we be developing more resorts in more northern climates so that we have a little bit longer season, right? I'm I'm not saying that Pat's Peak is going to relocate itself to northern Maine, but I, I just wonder if that there are different things that we're going to be doing 
in order to combat some of the winters we've been having. Of course, maybe next winter we're Utah. Who knows? So yeah, it's it's sort of this annual dance we play at the end of spring, right? Are we going to get snow? Are we not going to get snow? What's next season going to be like? And the truth is, we don't know. We have no idea. But look at Utah. Look at California. Look at Colorado. And look at the, the legendary seasons they're having out west. And yeah, this wasn't legendary, but it was pretty darn good. Late, late and great. I think that's the, the, the two words to sum up this, this ski season. Well, the season is outstanding right now, so get out there and get it. I want to say thank you. Gunstock, who's been an advertiser, is closing this weekend. Mm-hmm. Yep. Get out there and enjoy Gunstock this last weekend. Thank you, Gunstock, for helping support Eric and I on this endeavor. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Mike, it was a pleasure. Thank you for joining me. Oh, Eric, that was eye-opening, and talking to Les again was fantastic. Yeah, that was a pleasure. So, Les Otten, thank you very much for joining us on the Basecamp podcast, the Balsams. It's it's exciting, that's for sure. My name is Eric Wilbur. I am the New England Ski Journal editor, and we will be with you for one final time during this ski season. We'll see you next time. New England Ski Journal's Basecamp is a Siemens Media podcast. Siemens Media. Inspiring, informative, insightful.